Welcome to the Imbibe Live Conversations podcast with Amy Parker and Cheryl Dunn. By tuning in, you are joining a community that will inspire you to increase balance, wellness, and joy in your life. We will offer expert information and insightful conversations to help us all on our journey to live more in vibe. For more information and articles, remember to also check out our website at imbibelife.com. That's E-N-V-I-B-E-L-I-F-E.com. We're grateful that you are here. Hello, welcome to Invibe Life Conversations with Amy Parker and Cheryl Dunn. We're joined today by Sally Lombardo. Sally is someone I've met recently um, through friends who said, this is a woman you have to talk to. And as things happen for us sometimes, one of the topics that Cheryl and I have been talking about a lot lately is grief. Cheryl experienced a loss in her life recently. Um, and I know that past losses have been big precipitating factors for spiritual growth for you mm-hmm. in general. Um, and you know, m- the whole country has experienced a loss of sorts and a changed lifestyle and things like that lately. So grief has been coming up for us a lot. And we've thought we really need to talk about some of these topics on the podcast. And then sure enough, we were led to meet Sally and Sally Lombardo. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have been so excited about this conversation since you and I first spoke and I immediately called Cheryl and told us about our conversation. So thank you for carving out time and being here. We'd love for you to tell a little bit about yourself and your background um, for our audience. Well, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, My background really begins before I went to seminary which has been a big part of my journey that when my five children were growing up and leaving the home, I thought, what do I want to do? And I taught a lot of Bible study. I taught college English and it just seemed like an appropriate um, next step for me. But I, I suppose my interest in this really came from my teaching in college and then mentoring a lot of young women. And um, I also am a doula and I taught childbirth classes for a long time. And, and what I began to learn during that was that people are suffering all the time in different ways and not sharing that or hiding it or sort of expressing it inappropriately, dealing with things alone, feeling like they are alone, feeling like this is something that's never happened to anyone but them. And somehow I began to feel compassion for this. And then as I worked with my childbirth moms and would go into the hospital or be at home births and I assisted midwives for a while, I began to see that you could build a relationship with suffering. And I know that sounds odd, but I encouraged girls in childbirth all the time to not run from that, not to run from the pain and not to even close it off, but to sort of stay with it and, and uh, push through different things. And, That precipitated just my getting to know those girls on a real close basis and their families and sort of see what else might be they'd be bringing into the birth. And so I started to see that suffering is multi, multi layered, but that it can be addressed. And then I experienced uh, about four years ago, a member of my family died. 
And this was, a, it was a very difficult death because it, she decided to be very isolated in, in her death. And I was in the middle of an MDiv at seminary and I was anxious to help and I was powerless. I couldn't get into that and I couldn't help her reconcile some family relationships. And I watched this all playing out uh, in, in a way that was ultimately um, destructive in many ways to our whole family. And I found it just just sad. Not I wasn't angry. I wasn't necessarily disappointed, but I thought, where how can we help people with suffering and even in the dying process and not just jump in afterwards and help with with grief? So I began to be interested in it. And then I've taken it on as a doctoral project of writing about suffering with hope. So that's sort of my story. You also work as a chaplain. Right. You know, yeah. So you are around it and helping people cope with it daily. Right. And that's our whole challenge is how do we walk with people in their suffering without trying to fix it, without trying to come in with solutions, answers, do this. If you do this, you'll feel better. You'll feel well. So as a chaplain, you you can't help help people feel better. A lot of the time, that's not really my job. And so I'm there to walk beside them and give them some kind of hope, which the only hope may be that I'm standing there listening and trying to validate them. And that may be something that is all I can offer at that moment. Um, and it's beautiful when people want to close with prayer. And that's a big part of what we do as well. So I think something we hear a lot, I'm going to call this a basic question, but I'm not sure it's really a basic question is like, why do we have suffering? You know, like you hear that all the time. If you know, you believe in God and God is a loving God. Why would he make people suffer? How do you answer that question for people? Right. I had a lady ask me the other day, right when I walked in her room, she said, why is this happening to me? Yeah. I mean, she yeah. was actually a young woman. And um, so that question comes up a lot. And, and what you learn from theology or reading and then own experience is just that the world was set in motion and the world is a place of brokenness and pain. And there's no way around that. Uh, I recently read a book by Gene Stairs um, called Listening for the Soul. And it's really about the rhythm of death and resurrection in all of life. And it's so beautiful because it really reminds us that there's this natural ebb and flow in the world. And we see it all the time in the natural world, we see it in animal life and plant life and, and the sun rising and setting. We see death and then we see resurrection and restoration over and over again. And I think that we do well just to become, give over to that type of natural rhythm of life. And if it weren't there, life wouldn't be real at all. We would be some sort of prescribed puppets in some show where nothing ever went wrong. And I, we think we want it that way, but that's not real. That's not real life. So we, we journey through suffering, which is just a part of even plants. If you look at plants, like after our freeze last year, I was walking around a lot, just looking like the plants were, had suffered. I, you know, they were all just dilapidated. And I, that's just a part of the creation. It always reminds me of the saying, that the light comes through the cracks. Yes, right. If you know? not, you don't appreciate the light. 
Right. Right. Exactly. It's interesting. Amy was explaining how um, I dealt with my own personal grief that I really feel like kind of was the process that brought us into starting in bad dealing with the, the loss of my brother. And then, and that's been about, I guess, five or six years mm-hmm. now. Recently, my father-in-law passed away and it was a completely, and I was very close to him, but it was a completely different process because I felt like when my brother passed, I couldn't see outside of my own grief. Like it was just my own grief and suffering was so encompassing. I could only think about myself. Mm -hmm. Well, my mother-in-law came and stayed with me after my father-in-law passed. And so I felt like I was on the outside helping her process all of it. And that was really hard. Even though I feel like Amy and I talk about this stuff a lot, I just pulling up any tools or having like being able to support her was super challenging. Mm -hmm. Do people talk about that when it's maybe it's, you know, you're supposed to be the supportive role and that's a hard role to have. You mean when it, you're, it has also happened to you, but you can't, grieve your own loss. You're trying to yeah, help. I think that's a, that's a hard place to be too. You know, it was hard to grieve your own loss when you in your mind feel like I'm supposed to be helping them. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. in a minute, when we'll talk about sort of these different kinds of loss mm-hmm. uh, at grief is necessarily a self-oriented process. So, and unless you um, can make peace with that and allow that you'll never quite feel like it was resolved because you can't really grieve for someone else who's grieving, you know, we have to do it on our own. So I think what you were feeling was legitimate Mm -hmm. because you needed to go through your own process as well. Uh, And we, we can be there for other people. Like sometimes I feel I was in a room the other day of parents who were having to make a tough decision about taking their son off life support um, after a suicide attempt. So it was very dark and difficult. And I, I finally left the room and I just stopped in the hall and I just wanted to wail. And I thought, I can't do that because all these running around nurses, other people would look at me like, what's the matter? What? You're not supposed to do this. So I just, I, I allowed myself that experience though, because it was almost too close to home because I have four sons. Yeah. And so I had to say, it's okay to feel this and I need to feel something. And I sometimes leave the hospital and walk across the street to Herman Park in Houston and just sit. And so we have to acknowledge that you can't, you can't just fully be there for someone else. That's not, that's God's role. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. grief can look a lot of different ways too. People really react to um, a loss. And I know we haven't gotten to talking about loss yet, but in really different ways that can almost be confusing or to recognize, oh, this might seem odd to me or like an affront, but it's their way of pushing their grief aside. Right. And, and I did think hard about when you asked me, does all grief look the same? And it can manifest in many different ways. So some people will hold it in because they think they should, like you might see a widow, an older widow, um, sort of acting like everything's okay when her husband died, because they've lived together for 50 years or 50 plus, and it was all good. And so they keep up a good face, but it will come out 
in different ways. Uh, and you need, if when you get practiced at looking for that, you can tell. So it might come out in anger. It sometimes come out, comes out in inappropriate ways where they are not responsible to other people or they release things in different ways or they'll begin to develop bizarre habits. So grief will find its way out. You know, it's, it's like a person almost. It will make sure it's heard. And, and some people will get very self-oriented or some people will choose to serve others. But if you still, you don't allow it, 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 will, it will never really resolve. But given that, addressing what you're saying, grief never completely or wholly ends. You usually carry grief most of the rest of your life because that's how humans are. We're wired to love one another and we're wired to grieve the loss of someone. But it's a it's we need to allow ourselves to become make peace with that. And then that just that it never completely ends. But it, it, the more that you allow it to process, I think the better people are. Well, and I think like when you were talking about that, I was thinking about our own personal grief from maybe a trauma or a suffering mm-hmm. that occurred to us when we were little, like, you know, you hear a lot of people that maybe had a traumatic instance in childhood or adolescence or young adulthood and maybe didn't properly address it, that then 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, it'll pop up, pop, but maybe even in a physical manifestation Mm -hmm. or in why can't I have the relationship I want or why, you know, are these other things not falling into place in my life? Absolutely. And I, I, I think we all experience loss. In fact, John Claypool, uh, who was an Episcopal priest who wrote about the death of his daughter in a beautiful little book. But he talks about the first time he experienced his loss was his puppy dying when he was four, that he accidentally slammed the back door on without realizing. So he said it, it affected the rest of his life. And it really if we all experience that. So it's nothing, we can't escape from it. And, and I think that you're right, that it, it, we can see it reemerge and that's okay. The, the point is not to be afraid of that. I had a girl in my childbirth teaching days that was having a hard time getting pregnant and we kind of explored together. I mean, she really didn't have a physical reason. So we just explored together why she was afraid of it. And she eventually did, but it was a trauma in childhood. Something had happened to one of her younger siblings when that sibling was two or something. And so she was holding on to that. Our bodies never lie. You know, our bodies, as you know, so much, they hold things. So um, I I think that's something that we can um, explore without fear. One thing I... I see often is within six months, sometimes sooner, sometimes a little after that someone has gone through the trauma of losing somebody close, their body has a major physical reaction, whether it's something, you know, like a disc being thrown or cancer coming, or, you know, it's, it's, it really, it's quickly that things will happen that are pretty big health concerns. Yes. Somebody, you know, I see that correlation all the time. Right. And you see it because you believe it because you know, it's there. So when your, your eye gets attuned to that and you allow it in as a truth, you'll see it all the time. This connection between 
people mm-hmm. becoming ill in different ways from what we might also know is just the randomness of life and that it's not anything that they carried, but we, we do see that. Um, you're, you're sort of getting into the subject, um, Amy, of, of what do we learn from suffering? Let You want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, I, think, yeah. I, I do. Is there hope or how do we find hope? Is there hope? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of like, we could say that about a lot of things, but um, there, there is hope. There's hope all the time in every minute of life, really. Like just the fact that we met all of us is so right. beautiful. So, and, and alleviates uh, any kind of suffering of feelings of loneliness, even in this whole time. But you had asked me kind of what's at the other end. And so I've, I think about that all the time because that is a question that people often ask in the hospital. And then girls I teach in Bible study, just will this ever end? And what, what can I expect? So it's, it's largely up to us. That's what's so interesting, what lies at the other end, because it's, it's largely how we see it. And even though this is, this does not go against what the Bible teaches us either, because like, I just wrote this book on Job and Ruth and Hannah and their suffering that they experienced, which was all different, but it was how they prayed honestly back to God through it all. They never hid that. They, they just became vulnerable. So every time there's some kind of suffering in the form of illness or estrangement from someone you love, these are all bad sufferings we go through. Loss of a relationship, painful partings, painful, you know, endings of things, um, loss of a dream and even death. We have this opportunity to learn, you know, from it, not just say, what can I learn? stoically, but more to walk into the light that might be at the other, you know, side of that. So with Job, Ruth, and Hannah, um, they each lost different things. Job lost sort of everything material that he had and all his family members. Ruth lost her whole past history, her country, and the memory of, you know, she completely traded all that for something new. And Hannah was faced with giving up a dream. And she ended up having a beautiful answer to that prayer, but it was not the answer she might've wanted. It was not, I prayed for a child and he came and wasn't that wonderful. She gives that boy back to the temple, which she promised God. So it was not, uh, she also, there was a cost, you know, in, in her letting go. So some of life I think is honestly just enduring things and reframing them as best you can. Like, well, even, Cheryl, your loss and with your your mother in law, it was right. Passed, and my right. mother moved in after that. And it was an opportunity to practice kind of learning how do I relate to someone that I wouldn't normally relate to, or and I believe so many things are brought by God in front of us to He stretches us constantly with, um, you know, now you're going to learn this because we don't know what's ahead. But, but the Lord does. So we get to experience things that are part of our training. But we just in, in these three characters, Job learned to endure because he relied on his former faith that he had built already. He didn't just look up one day and go, wow, I need to figure something out here. You know, I don't know how to how to have faith through loss. He he had practiced that, which I think is a lesson for us. Um, and it, Ruth really endured because she kept choosing hope. She chose it 
She chose Naomi. She chose this new life. She chose to go ahead and work in the field as a lowly worker because she knew it would open doors for her. So it involves our conscious choice. You know, it doesn't just, we don't just sit there and hope things get better. We, we take initiative. Uh, this morning, I just taught um, the Canaanite, the story of the Canaanite woman to a group of people who persisted in her asking Jesus to come to her. So we have a role, you know, in our overcoming. And, um, and I, I think that that's what's at the other end is what we hope and want to be at the other end. Oh um, gosh, absolutely. Yeah, really we, we can help affect it. And we've had, <laughs> we even had a podcast early on that I think we called Choose Joy. And it's been a yeah. topic that's come up for us over and over again, even with some guests that you can really behave happiness or you can choose happiness, choose mm-hmm. joy, choose fun. I never thought about choosing hope, but you can also yeah. choose hope is mm-hmm. one of the messages you're giving here. I know. And that puts a lot of responsibility on us. And we don't like that sometimes. We think, <laughs> I just want things to happen to me. But but really, it's it. so many things are our decisions. And even I've had a few broken friend relationships in life that I didn't choose to break. But I grieved those so much until I felt one day, well, reconcile with someone else then. Reconcile with someone who wants to. And that that's choosing hope. You know, that you hope you can have a relationship restored. Maybe I can't have that one, but I can have another one or build a new relationship or something. So that's how we can be part of our own healing, really. I love it because it's also it's kind of like. By us having a responsibility or actions that need to be taken, that goes with there's no magic pill, mm-hmm. right? There's no magic pill there in in anything in life, there's not that magic pill. It really takes effort. And, uh, it's in, and I often tell Amy this, and I probably, the people that are listening to the podcast were like, Oh, we've heard this, but I have one child that like, he thinks he can drop out of school. He doesn't really need school. They're not teaching me anything. I can keep going. And, and he's I, like 11, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah. The second day of kindergarten, he told me he wasn't going back because he didn't learn how to read the first day. So this has been an ongoing conversation for the last eight years now, but every, almost every morning I drop him off. I'm like, you got to look for the things that make you happy there. You know, you get to see your friends, you get, you can choose to look at the homework and that's going to make you, uh, mm. or you can choose to look at the, the fun times you have, you know, you, you have a choice throughout your day, you know, because you're going to continue to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You are right. not a YouTuber yet. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> no. And the hope in that, that I hear you saying is that this is a very, very bright young man. And so the hope is that maybe he will start a type of education someday for students like him who need more, need faster, need to accomplish more. So the hope is that you're seeing this glimpse of a person who's talking about what his future is going to be. And that that's what's so beautiful, I think, about it. Oh, well, he would die if he heard that. He'd be like, what? Creative school? Yeah. Cheryl's <laughs> often said, I can talk about my children on the podcast because they don't listen they don't anyway. Listen. So. But I do want to get into that thought of like you have alluded to during this conversation. And I know that in the conversation you and I had leading up to the podcast, 
that there are many different kinds of loss. And I think that's one of the things that I carried away from our initial conversation uh, more than anything else, because I hadn't really thought about it like that before that, you know, loss of a dream, loss of a goal, as well as loss of a loved one or loss of a job or those things we normally think about. Will you talk about that a little bit, like how many different sorts of loss we experience and then how that impacts us? Right. That is so important. And I really had not appreciated that until I did this chaplaincy residency and learned about that because that you can identify with so many of them. And the, the six types, which I'll just list because it's really important to understand that, are material loss, which is obvious. And I have a friend who was in those fires in Colorado came back and her house is burned down. And so that's a one huge type. Then there's relationship loss, which we can all fill in the blanks on that. Intra-psychic loss is losing sort of this an emotionally important image of yourself. Often this happens to children, either if there's a divorce maybe in the family or someone dies unexpectedly or something they move or something happens there. There's this deep internal sense of, I don't look the same anymore to me. And that's a loss, you know, that we have to really understand. Then there's functional loss, which is huge, which is uh, an illness or neurological loss or physical type of muscular function. And that's, that is something I deal with a lot. I work at a rehab hospital. So most of these people are dealing with that with um, now I'm in a wheelchair. What is my new normal? And, and that is, you have to, we navigate that, you know, with them. Then there's systemic loss, which is really important too, which is um, like a whole system changes. And that's happened in our pandemic when people aren't working in offices anymore. Most people are at home. You've sort of got to navigate. Now what do I, I never see my coworkers or friends and that's all changed. And then we'll talk in a minute, I'm sure about sort of the overall societal systemic loss that we've experienced. So it's really important to acknowledge um, that part of one of these is what they call ambiguous loss. When a person in your family changes or is ill or, you know, Cheryl, you've experienced this with um, it's, it's when the, the person is there, but they're not the same anymore. Or that can be even when a person just sort of is re- more removed from a relationship, but is maybe there in person, but you know, they're not there. So you're experiencing this great sense of, of loss of what's happened to my identity and our, our world together. So it, it, these can be permanent or temporary. They can be avoidable or not, and they can be unpredictable. And there's sort of this theory that we learn in chaplaincy that life is a series of attachments and losses. And the more you kind of become okay with that, you become more willing to let go. It was a loss, but I'm going to form another attachment. I'm going to form another one, but it's, it's in the, it's biblical, really. What we see are these couples forming attachments. One person dies, they form another attachment. They move, they go places. And so it's, it's just the way life life is, but those it's once you, you, even for friendships, if you just understand that about another person, it gives you a lot of empathy for maybe a type of loss that person just went through that doesn't have to be death. Um, well, and that's something I want to hit upon because it just came up. I've talked about this a lot lately. Um, cause change really is a type of loss too, because you're moving from one thing to the other. It doesn't always have to be negative or 
bad necessarily to still have a loss that you're having to adjust to or grieve about. You know, I I think we think about loss as being that loved one passed away or a job loss. And so, well, then you're justified in being sad or then you're justified in needing some emotional support or help. I know, and I've shared this and every one of our podcast listeners has learned of this, that my husband and I went through a lot of change last year in 2021 and that we sold a business and that's a good thing, right? Yay. Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice. But for me, I've had a lot of trouble just dealing with, okay, now my life looks differently than I really thought it was going to look like right now. Mm-hmm. And we're having to, we've got a long process <laughs> with this particular example, but you know, to transition out of that, but then what's going to be there on the other end for that us. And while that's really scary and it's not what I expected at this age, And then I've had to deal a lot with the fact that I feel guilty for saying that's been difficult for me in any way, because it's this great thing, but I've also had to deal with the loss of the life I had in order to start welcoming in. Okay. Well now what comes next? Mm -hmm. And it's really surprised me that I've had to deal with it the way I have. Right. Well, that that's what this is helpful in is, is giving you a sense of compassion for your own self mm-hmm. because until we have compassion on ourselves it's really hard to offer it to other people it's impossible yeah and that's a truth you learn as you get older and i remember thinking with my own children i was hard on them because i was so hard on myself and the day i learned that i thought this has to end because it's not fair and but the it it's if you allow yourself like Andy Stanley, who, you know, his father's Charles Stanley in, in Atlanta, talks a lot about giving yourself margins in life. And so one margin would be when you leave a type of system that you were in and where there were a lot of rewards and there was you know cost and gain and lifestyle, is allowing yourself to grieve that, giving yourself a space and time, which I tell people all the time may mean a a six month series of evening walks where you just process that together. You live in a channel with myself. And then I've also had to, you know, affirm to myself, if I weren't having any parts that I were sad to leave behind, then what had I really created? Yeah. You know, it's because there were great parts and beautiful parts. And those are the things um, that 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 it's kind of sad to leave on the one hand. And then the other thing is just sort of fear of the unknown. You know, mm-hmm. what is on the other side of this? Where where does it go? And that's just scary. Even if it's great, it still can be scary. And that's, you know, but that's the what you talked about, the renewal and rebirth. And I think a lot of times we say, you know, people say like, I want a new job or I want a new partner. I want, you know, when they're looking for that change in life, And then you have to recognize that even when you get that change, change is going to mean something else is going away Mm -hmm. in order to make room for the new. Right. It's the rhythm of what I learned in that book, the death and then a resurrection of something new and restoration. But it, it's not as that's right. We're so glib about all the things we do. Like I'm going to leave this. And so, and yet we don't realize some of the cost. I think it's hard sometimes too, because you're talking about the death and the resurrection is when, when you're going through the death process, it's sometimes hard to see the resurrection. So hard. That's mm-hmm. the hard part is when you're in the depths of it to see that 
there's going to be something I'm going to learn from this. There's going to be some silver lining. There's, you know, that's, I think a hard thing to. That's like holding on to a string. You know, it's like holding on. But this author, Ken Matthews, that wrote this book, All Our Losses, All Our Griefs, talks a lot about uh, the grief that is buried that will turn into guilt often for different reasons and then shame. So once you get to that point, you've really dug yourself down and it is very hard to see out. So, again, it's just this important process of allowing grief, allowing it and saying almost like, excuse me, I have to go deal with my own grief for a while and not keep avoiding it. <laughs> and so you find ways that you need to do that. And then it it keeps it from turning into shame or where, because we do all feel this bizarre. And, and he describes it as the shame becomes a monster. And, and I think the monster can keep us from recovering. So we don't, that's the point we try to help others not get to, and we try to prevent in ourselves. And I think all of us carry on some level and all about different things, a little bit of guilt and a little bit of shame in our lives. We carry that. And mm-hmm. I, and I think the hard part might be sometimes is to recognize where that is showing up, you know, where we're having that conversation in our head, that's coming from a place of shame or guilt, you know, and, and then releasing that in order to not carry it anymore. Mm-hmm. In order to not inflict others with our own sense of, which is what we do, you know, and that that's where it began to hit me as I looked at how maybe I was treating those people closest to me. And I thought I'm carrying something that's driving this. Um, so that's why it's important to let it turn into a true sense of humility rather than some kind of false humility that masks as shame. I love it. I feel like there's society wise That's something that has been sparked or brought up is um, that guilt and shame that I feel like is, we see it a lot more now with COVID, like shaming other people, feeling Mm. guilty. You should feel guilty for this. I feel like that's Mm. coming on or has been coming on with all of the conversation Mm. around everything with COVID. But don't you think that's, and I'm jumping in here. I feel like one of the biggest things though, is the community sense of grief because sort of that situation I described that we all had to change our lives so drastically. And so like when you say, Sally, that when you're not acknowledging or processing that grief, it's going to come out in other ways. This is what you're describing one way that it can come out. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So you mean you feel like during COVID people have made other people feel guilty about things like going around people or if you give it, maybe wearing a mask or not Not wearing a mask, mask. getting vaccinated, Um, not getting vaccinated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that's coming from the incredible amount of fear that everyone's feeling of the unknown. So that's that displaced grief. Mm -hmm. And and really, we had, you and I, Amy, had talked a little bit about the collective grief mm-hmm. in the world right now. And it's the first time, see, we've experienced that in our, in our generation here because we didn't go through World War II when right. they were experiencing pretty much globally this collective right. scream going up of we can't keep doing this. And now all we have to do is read about World War II to realize what they went through. So now here it is, it's, it's on us. 
And I, and I do think that what people are experiencing is, is this unsettled fear of the unknown because we don't really have a lot of straight answers. I don't think we're suffering from isolation as much because now we have ways we can get with people and we've been with our families and we develop new, you know, uh, like little hobbies or we exercise more. I mean, we've kind of been filling the time, um, but it's a, everybody's afraid. And, and I, I think that this is so biblical because it's, if you really read Romans eight, that's where Paul talks about the creation groaning and, and this is the first, I've been mentioning this a lot to people that I teach because this is the first time we really know what he's talking about. The creation is totally groaning now with words that can't be expressed, that there we're, we're suffering with what we don't know if, if uh, is here to stay, is going to morph again. And so blaming each other really is just probably what happens in all kinds of of different pain situations, but um, I, I think we know, we know a lot as a society now about curative things for this, and people like Richard Rohr or people like that have podcasts and are trying to address some of this. We're not just out here on our own floundering around, so that's a good thing. Yeah, I hope so that is a good thing. So before we wrap up, is there any final thought you'd like to leave with everyone on topics of? loss and suffering, grief, joy, resurrection. Yeah. Only that we have a lot of good examples for all of this all through time, whether it's in literature, there are so many biblical examples of people that walked through suffering and made it to the other side and that we have to utilize what we know and what we have. We have to reach out and go into another gear. We have to reach for that other gear and and read about these people see what they did, see how they handled it, find, take hope in that. And with hope, have courage. Mm, I love that. That is a great message to end on. I feel so strongly just that someone out there, at least someone out there needed to hear this today. And so thank you, Sally, for um, being with us and sharing your insights with us. Um, It was really beautiful. Yes. Thank you so much. Well, thank you all so much, too. And I I just thought of this. I wrote a book about the women who founded the early church. It's called Seven Brave Women. And they suffered a great deal. And this was my whole theme in that was that these women carried the early church. They carried the the initial church that met in the homes. Without these women, I, I don't know if it would have endured. So we they were very brave. And I, that's a theme for me really in, in life. Oh, I love it. I forgot. I, I should have mentioned that because that little book has been a part of my oh. growth. But thank you all so much. Yes. And thank Um, you for joining us. And, you know, you can find more of the information in our show notes. So do that. Share this podcast with someone maybe who you think it might help or might benefit from hearing it. So thank you, Sally. We hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining our conversation today. For more information or to learn more about InVibe Life, we hope you'll visit us at www.invibelife.com. You can find links and show notes for this episode on our podcast page. 
Please like, follow, and leave a review for our podcast. We hope that you will listen again soon.